Great to see all of you today. Man, the presence of the Lord is in this place. He is working. It's been an amazing weekend. By the time today is over, 45 people over three services will have followed the Lord in water baptism. We seek to put an identity around these series so that it can really find its way into our heart and we think of it beyond the gathering and and going forward. And so this one is called A Matter of Life and Death. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will take this and, and grip us with that sense of urgency because we are living in the last days and we need to pick up any, any influence that we can to be on mission. These are critical days. These aren't just any times. These are the end times. And that we would approach our personal uh, Christianity and discipleship with a sense of mission as never before. And I know that only the Holy Spirit can cause that to happen. It's not going to happen from the outside in. It's got to be something that happens by the gripping of the Lord. I pray that when we come in the next week and start reflecting on the opportunities that 2024 provides for us to serve here in this community and around the world, that we would then respond with a spirit-led generosity because the Spirit has gripped us that this is a matter of life and death. Again, we have joined the 22 for 22 challenge with Mighty Oaks. It raises awareness that 22 of our veterans are committing suicide every day. That's 22 too many. And the 22 days represents until we get to Veterans Weekend. And that'll be the second weekend of November, and we will talk about our vision to make a difference through Mighty Oaks in ways that we haven't done before. And so you're going to hear things that we've been doing, and it will take the Holy Spirit to grip us at a new level about those things. And I believe it's His heartbeat. And will you join me prayerfully and say, God, give us your heartbeat, because it's a matter of life and death. I told you I believe we're living in the last days. I believe Scripture supports uh, that we are. I believe what we have seen even since last weekend, unfolding in the Middle East, unfolding with what's happening with Israel, I believe it's right in Ezekiel 38. I told you that Daniel was given 490 years of how the future would unfold, and he wrote about it. In 483 of those years, it has happened already to the detail of what he wrote. Seven years left, which the Bible teaches us is the Great Tribulation. I personally believe that the Bible teaches in a pre-tribulation rapture. So if we are right at the door of the Great Tribulation starting, that means the rapture could happen today. And so I want the Holy Spirit to give us a fresh excitement because Jesus said, if you are a believer, you don't have to be troubled. This is great news. I know that you hear. Yeah, go ahead. 
I know that you hear that there will be fury and wrath in part of the great tribulation, and that's true. But the story of redemption is not just about fury and wrath. It's about family. Jesus went away to prepare a place for us. We're sons and daughters, and he's returning to receive his family. Can you praise God today? We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. Come on, help me. We're on the winning side. You don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. Hey, let's, let's lift up our eyes with a fresh excitement that Jesus is coming, but then let's be urgent to get the gospel to as many people as we can. Our vision aligns us to be very effective in these last days. And if for any reason you struggle with whether or not these are the last days, we certainly agree that we are living in the only days we have. We're here now. If God wanted us here prior to this generation, we would have been here. We're here now. And how we live our days matters. These days will come to an end. We all have our birth date and we're living in our dash. And how we live matters because there will come a day where it will be the day, the last day that we have on this side of eternity. My question today is what happens once you die? A sobering question. And I'm going to look at this from the vantage point of what happens once you die as a believer and what happens once you die and you have resisted the opportunity to come to know Jesus. I want to take you on a journey. This could be the most important journey I've taken you on through the Bible because this is such a matter of life and death. Ecclesiastes 12.7. Let me, let me give you the first point and then go to Ecclesiastes. When you die, your spirit leaves your body. Christian or non-Christian, when you die, your spirit leaves your body. Ecclesiastes 12.7. Look at that last part. Your spirit returns to God. Your spirit, your spirit, who you are, intellect, emotions, personality, the essence of you, who you are, returns. Your body is just the house of your spirit. It is the way uh, that you get from point A to point B. And when your life ends here, this body just collapses. It's just a shell. But your spirit, who you are, is leaving your body immediately. And it has one of two options as a destination. I want to speak, first of all, to the believer. If you are a Christian, your spirit is going to be present and conscious with Jesus. The moment you take your last breath, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. A conscious awareness in the presence of Jesus happens for every believer the moment they die. You don't have to fear death. I want to live a full life and do all I can as husband, father, pastor. But when it's over, I'm going to the best place. I'm going home. I'm going to the very presence of Jesus. That, that's great news right there. 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 1. 
Notice the imagery, the language. For we know that if the earthly tent, Paul's calling this body an earthly tent, that we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, and it's not built with human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. We're longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. There's something missing until we get there. Here we go. For we are all in this tent, this body. We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. My mamma used to say, the earthly will bear the heavenly. And this last phrase, it is an eternal house. I'm, I'm sorry. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's powerful. This mortal will put on immortality because death has been swallowed up by life through Jesus, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Look at this next verse. Now the one who is fashioned for this very purpose is God. The one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. God is our creator. Who made me? Where did I come from? Genesis 1. God is our creator. Who has given us the spirit? Banking language as a deposit. Notice, guaranteeing what is to come. So the Holy Spirit is in this earthly tent reminding me there is so much more. This is not home. I'm on my way to that place where I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is awesome news. And, and, and the moment we take our last year, we will experience that incredible victory that Jesus has given. The Holy Spirit is at work. Even, even on your best days here, you know. This is not home. How do you know that? There's a guarantee and the Holy Spirit is reminding you. Now I want to take you to Matthew 17. Starting at verse one, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. Think about this scene. Jesus, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. What a moment. Stepping into it are these Old Testament spiritual giants. Moses who died. Elijah who never died was just caught up. And now all of these years later, they step into this moment and they are recognizable and they're talking to Jesus. Peter says, we should never leave. And he said, could we build, let's build something so we can just stay right here. Peter is experiencing this glory that he had never experienced before. He's getting a foretaste of what we call glory divine glory in its perfection 
that all of us one day will experience. And I am just captivated that Moses and Elijah are there. Moses who represented the law. Elijah representing the prophets. All of the Old Testament scooped up and placed both in Moses and Elijah. But all through the Old Testament, we knew it was pointing to the perfect lamb. And there on that mountain, you see that it was culminating in the God-man, the perfect one. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's all culminating in Jesus Christ. The law and the prophets find their perfection. What they couldn't do. Now, here's Hebrews. There's one who's better than the prophets. There's one who's better than angels. There's one who shines brighter than the sun in all of its brilliance. It's this one, Jesus Christ. He is the culmination. He is the perfection. He is the fulfillment. Let Moses represent resurrection. He died, and yet there he is. Let Elijah represent rapture. You're getting the whole theological uh, story right here on this one mountain. All of the Old Testament pointing to the perfect Lamb of God. Moses representing resurrection or rapture, that if you know God, either by resurrection or rapture, you're going to be in the presence of glory divine. I hear Elijah saying, hey, death, where is thy sting? And I can hear Moses saying, grave, where is thy victory? Well, we know it's been swallowed by the massive sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been swallowed up by life. When you die, you go right into the presence of Jesus. Take a moment and praise God that we are eternal, that salvation is the gift of eternal life. We will be in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Mm. Live in this construct. Live in this truth. When you see this world spinning out of control, just let it remind you, Jesus is coming. Praise him and be busy sharing him with other people. So now I owe you to talk about what happens with the unbeliever. As an unbeliever, your spirit is also present and conscious, but it's apart from the presence of Jesus in a place called hell. When you die, you will be consciously aware that the place where you will be is void of God, grace, and anything good. I want to tell you that the Bible is so clear when it comes to the teaching on hell. 167 times the Bible speaks of hell. Matthew, Mark, Luke, James, Peter, and Jude all talk specifically about hell. Paul warned of this eternal reality over 80 times. Jesus entered ministry when he was age 30. He was crucified at age 33. He had three years of ministry. In those three years, 33 different specific times, he, he spoke and taught about hell. So if you were around Jesus for those three years, at least once a month for his entire ministry, you would have heard him talk specifically 
about this. The eight leading seminaries in America have reached a place where they deny what I'm telling you. They do not believe in this place called hell. And when you listen to the reasoning, it's their feelings can't reconcile God and, and love and a place like this. Denying to look into this, that hell was not created for you or me, but for the devil and fallen angels. But if you reject the many opportunities that God will give you to come into a saving relationship with him, then that's where you will be. And here is what I would say about those who have taken this out of the Bible. We are not feelers. We are believers. We're living in a generation that wants to be led by feelings. And that's why we've created the most confused generation in the history uh, of life. So let's just come back to the Bible. And I want to tell you, the Bible is very clear. There's heaven and there's hell. The exclusive claim of scripture is that you get saved through a relationship with Jesus, faith in his grace. And the moment you get saved, you have the assurance that when you die, you're going to heaven. If Jesus comes before you die, you will be raptured and taken right into the manifest presence of God. Resurrection or by rapture, as a believer, you're going into the presence of God. As an unbeliever, you are not. I want to make it as hard as I possibly can for anybody to miss heaven and for everybody to miss hell. It is the heart of Jesus that none would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. That's his heart. In that lies your choice. What will you do with Jesus? Here is one of those teachings right from Jesus about hell. It's going to show us so much. This comes from the book of Luke. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You're going to get two extremes. A man who had everything and a person who had nothing. And it's not lack or luxury that gives you the gift of God's presence for eternity. It's whether or not you know Jesus. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Abraham's side there, it represents God. It represents this man who didn't go to heaven. He understood truth. He had enough truth to have made a different decision than what he made. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. There was Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. This is Jesus. He's not giving us a parable. He often used parables to communicate truth. This is not a parable. 
This is a real story with real people who both went to two different places, but both places are very real. This man went to hell and it says, I am in agony. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word for the word agony is the most intense Greek word to express or define torment. I am in torment in this fire. Two men, two destinations. What do we learn about hell in this teaching that Jesus gave? Number one, it's very painful. The Bible calls it outer darkness, thick darkness, suffocating darkness, the absence of God. We have no way to express what it would be like if right now the Holy Spirit just lifted from the earth. Hell will be absent of God, of anything good. It's why it's called a place of restlessness. Like you're frantic, you're crazy, and yet you're not crazy. It would drive you there, but you don't go there because I'm about to show you, you keep your mind and your memory. It's lonely, it's hopeless. Right now, we live in time and space, and in this time and in this space, anybody in this room who doesn't know Jesus, you can be saved. Anybody watching online, right now, you can be saved. Today can be your day of salvation. But if you reject it, there will come a time where there will be no more chances. Mark chapter 9 says that hell is a place where your mind will never die. The language is where the worm dies not. It's speaking of your conscious awareness and your memory. And the torment here is that you will remember the opportunities you had to get right with God. The rich man had enough awareness of truth that he saw everything he ever wanted, but they couldn't close the gap. There was a gulf fixed. It was too late. And so then his mind that had the memory of all the opportunities then turns around and becomes his judge to say, you fool, you waited too late. And that is the torment. It would be like someone in this room or watching online, you're hearing the truth. Today you can get saved. If you reject and continue to reject, then there will come a time where you will be eternally separated and you will have the memory of this day. The torment is eternal. This gulf that is fixed meant the man could not close the gap. There was no hope. It's too late. And that is the teaching of Scripture. In the last days, the Bible says it will be like the days of Noah, where people are trivial and frivolous and nonchalant and indulgent and living their own truth. But like the door of the ark that closed, there will come a time where the door of salvation will close and it, it's over. It's too late. There's no reopening that door. So I say to you, this is, this is not Luke who is preaching this. This is Luke writing what Jesus stood in front of people 
and he himself gave this message. This man has this conscious awareness in the lake of fire. He knows the truth. He's without grace. He's in pain. He can't change it. And this last thing I want you to see, can we go to verse 27? I just want to turn to this verse and look at it with you. So since there was no way for the gulf to be fixed, he said, I beg you, Father, could you send Lazarus to my family? Because I have five brothers. Warn them. Tell them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Since this man has no option, the next focus is, can you please get to those that I know? Can you get to my family that's not ready and get this message? A person in hell is appealing for evangelism. I want to remind you, it is the heart of Jesus that no one perish, but that everyone comes to repentance. It is the heart of Jesus. What is it? John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. But add 17. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. Do you see this? And Jesus had all of our sin poured on him so that all of his love could be poured on us. He didn't prepare hell for you. He's preparing heaven for you that where he is, there you may be also. That's his desire and destination for you. But if you reject him, the Bible is clear. You will be eternally separated in the lake of fire. When it talks about heaven, heaven is not this thought. Heaven is a real place. It has walls, gates, and streets. There is coming a day where everybody who's already in heaven, their spirit is in heaven. At the coming of the Lord, the dead in Christ, their body will come up out of the grave. Cemeteries are going to get messed up. And their body will be re-engineered for eternity and their spirit will be rejoined with their body. We will not be a bunch of floating spirits throughout eternity. But your body will be glorified, which means I will once again be 6'2", as I was before I started pastoring. <laughs> it's going to be a great day. Oh, what a day. Even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. You will know people. You'll even be able to recognize their voice before you ever see them. Many who have loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord. It's been so long that sometimes you just have to really focus to remember what their voice 
sounded like. It's like you know, but you have to really focus that when we get to heaven, spirit rejoin with a glorified body before you would ever see. If I walked up behind you and just started talking, you will know, hey, that's Ron. And you will turn around and, and it's like, <laughs> we will know each other. We will be in the presence of God. And perhaps people from other countries would come up and say, you're from the assembly. You sent a missionary. You built a school. You supported an orphanage. You planted a church. That water well that you dug in Tanzania where there could be safe drinking water. I came, I was in that region and that's where I would come to get safe drinking water but they planted a church and I was introduced to Jesus. And we will be there with people from every nation, every language and we will be around the throne of Jesus. He said, as I go, I, I will come again and we will be in heaven. This is good news. This is the best news. And today is a day where you can have the complete assurance that you are going to heaven when you die. I want to invite the worship team to come. And here's what I want to do. I, I have a very important invitation to give to people. I want to invite all of those that are going to be baptized. We'll let you exit now. And as they make their exit, then I will move to this very careful invitation. Yeah, this is amazing. It's amazing. Let me, let me just share my heart for a minute before I get into this invitation. We aren't, not, we aren't just coming to church. We are the church. Can I get an amen? Come on, this is the two-minute drill. This is the full-court press. It's the two-minute offense. Time is running out. We don't mess around in the unnecessary and the trivial. We are fired up, first love, focused on mission with urgency, compassion, faithfulness to get the gospel to everybody we can. We will live up to the mission of God. The gravitational pull of this world is to, to pull you away from what's important, to pull you away from what life is all about. And so we just re-enter a time where we say, no, 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 it's a matter of life and death. We know the answer. The answer is Jesus, and we will take Jesus to the world. We will go, we will give, we will serve, we will do everything we can so that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. We're not gonna play church. We aren't gonna just come in here with a Sunday smile, but our lives are broken. We're gonna press into God, press into power, press into healing, press into miracles, and press into evangelism with the fire that is going to equal the importance of this hour. Until Jesus comes, we're gonna be found working and witnessing. We know the harvest is ready. The laborers are few. Count on us, God. 
We are going to go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Give the Lord a praise in agreement with it's a matter of life and death. And we're going to be busy for God. Thank you, Jesus. Remain standing. Close your eyes with me in the presence of God with every Christian praying with all of your heart for those who may need to make the most important decision of all eternity. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you today. I invite you today into His love, into His grace, His power, and the purpose He has for you. I invite you into your relationship with Jesus that gives you the assurance that the moment your life ends here, you're going immediately into His presence, the place prepared for you. If you say, Pastor, I need to accept Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? Just raise it up fast and high. Raise it up fast and high. I'll see it. We will pray. And the miracle of salvation will happen in your life. I want to pray the sinner's prayer and asking every Christian to pray with me as an encouragement to those who will be praying this for salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I'm amazed at your love for me, that you would die and rise again, that I might be saved. So I put my faith in your grace, and I thank you for forgiving my sins, cleansing me of all unrighteousness, giving me your righteousness, Thank you for bringing me into a relationship with you because now you are my Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for the assurance of heaven and for this life-changing relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Today, 28 people will follow the Lord in water baptism. What does that mean? It means that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. With just want to never miss an opportunity to teach. Water baptism doesn't save you. Only the grace of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, can you be saved. Water baptism is one way of testifying that that has happened. What has happened in the privacy of the heart, we're now giving testimony publicly by water baptism. We're saying, I was buried with Christ and I'm raised to newness of life. So it's powerful and it's biblical And I honor these people for their obedience. And what we're going to do is worship as they are baptized. This team is going to lead us. We're going to lift voices, hands, hearts as they are baptized. Feel free to clap, celebrate. But let's give all glory to God for Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of every person who's giving witness to that today. Can you say amen, church?